0: You're listening to What You Need When You Need It, a bi-monthly podcast by Seattle Credit Union on relevant topics affecting our city and our state and ways to positively impact your financial health. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Welcome back to What You Need When You Need It by Seattle Credit Union. I'm here with Tori Dunlap, financial feminist and founder of Her First 100K. We're here to have a second part of our conversation around financial literacy and loans. And today, our focus is more on your time in college, savings, credit, and investment. We're also going to talk a little bit about life after graduation. Welcome back, Tori.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so stoked to be here.
1: So we touched on this a little bit earlier, but how important do you think having a job in college is to your overall uh, college plan? Do you think every student should have a job? And are there ways that students can create or supplement their income without detracting from their studies or college experience. This keeping in mind that, you know, we don't always need to operate in superlatives, like, you know, it's not always one size fits all and right. you know, just and any kind of tips that you can think of around this.
0: Yeah, I love this question. And for me, really the the idea around getting jobs in college, which of it was of course financial, but one of the best decisions I made that I didn't even know was smart until after was you know getting a job that was closely related to what I wanted to do in my career. So I was passionate about writing. I was uh, on the newspaper staff uh, in high school and then we had a yearbook staff at UP. And so I worked my way up the ranks. I started as a copywriter and then became copy editor and then was editor-in-chief my senior year. And it was really great to be able to go into job interviews uh, against people who had more experience than me and be able to say... Here's this actual physical manifestation right here's this book, and this was my work right it was a it was a very literal portfolio of uh work that I had not over, only done but also oversaw. I had experience managing people at that time. I managed a staff of twelve I worked closely with administrators to you know do interviews and to coordinate and I had all of that experience that my job provided in addition to of course giving me a little boost in terms of my my finances so that was something that I think was really smart on my part was being intentional and choosing a job that, of course, was not only interesting to me, but also could set me up with some real actionable experience. Yeah, I think finding a job that, of course, can give you that financial leg up while also hopefully either you know, being interesting to you or helping build your resume can be really great. It's also a great way to meet people. Like again, with the yearbook staff, I was interviewing people I wouldn't have talked to normally. You know, I got to interview the president of the university. I got to interview... You know, our known student athletes, I got to just walk up to people who were walking to class and talk to them. So it's a great way to meet people, a great way to connect, and a great way to understand more about your college. Like, I was not only on the yearbook hmm. staff, but I was a tour guide uh, for the admissions department. So I know everything there is to know about the University of Portland, um, I mean, as of 2016. So, you know, there's so much that I was able to learn and grow and do in addition to the financial aspect of having a job. I will say as well, and you kind of mentioned this, that your priority if you're at school is school. So please do make sure that if you are taking on a job, or for me it was multiple jobs, that you're able to manage your time. Um, I had many friends who were luckily in the financial position where they, they maybe didn't have to take on work or as much work and their parents were like, your job is to go to school. So go to school, get really good grades, work really hard. You know, that's your job right now. So if you're either in that position or you just know that that's going to be too much of a distraction, that's something to consider as well is that you don't necessarily absolutely need a job, if, especially financially, you're stable, you're doing okay. It's also, you know, another thing to manage in terms of your time. So just make sure that Your, you know, if you're taking on that responsibility, just like any responsibility, that you have the time and energy to dedicate to it.
1: Certainly, that's really good advice. Uh, You know, even looking outside of the financial realm, ensuring that you have the time, energy, and focus to be able to accomplish goals that you set out to do. And if you find that you do have, sorry, that time and energy to take on a job or an extra job, and you have the fortunate position of being able to start saving in college. How do you recommend people get started doing that? Are there some ways out there to save that are better than others, especially for people first building that cushion?
0: Yeah. In terms of saving for college, if uh, you are a parent you know some sort of college investing or savings account can be really advantageous there's ones typically specific to your state as well as nationwide so you know looking at your options there for me, you know, when I was saving for my own college, when I was contributing money, I was making sure that I was in a savings account, of course. You know, I was contributing money to a savings account that offered me uh, a substantial interest rate. And I think actually at one point when I was younger, I took out a CD. So, if a CD is a good option for you, that's a great way to save money and maybe uh, get a higher interest rate, although I know as of our recording right now that interest rates are lower because of the Federal Reserve. So, yeah, I think if, if you are a parent or a guardian and are in the financial position to do so, a college savings account or investment account can be really advantageous. And if you need the money in the, in the shorter term or if you're a student who's saving money for college, um, a savings account or a certificate of deposit are both great places to put your money.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, my parents uh, anecdotally brought me to the bank when I was 10 years old and said, Matt, this is going to be your savings account. And, you know, I've, I've had that account you know, ever since that day, but Tori, you're also a champion of early investment, right? So, like, yeah. even with the low interest rates, which are loosely related to early investment, you know, is college a time where students can start thinking about that? Like, what can they do? What words of advice do you have to a young adult who's interested in beginning to invest?
0: Yeah, this is a great question. If you have the funds and you're interested in starting to invest, I think that that's a really great, uh, great habit to start building. I will say there's a particular company out there that is very focused on marketing to young people who don't understand how to invest and who are really focused on having you invest in individual stocks. And I am not a financial advisor. That is my legal disclaimer. However, we know that individual stocks are some of the riskiest ways to invest Especially if you don't know what you're doing and don't have the time to dedicate to really truly understanding and doing your research as to what stocks to quote unquote pick. So the mm-hmm. best the best ways to invest in terms of diversification, making sure that you know you're making those smarter investments might be to invest in the entire stock market, aka an ETF, a mutual fund, an index fund. So investing in either a brokerage account or you know, a retirement account, a, a IRA. You can open up an IRA as long as you have earned income. You can actually open up uh, if you are a parent or guardian out there. You can have your child open up an IRA if they're younger than 18. So there's other options out there besides just the kind of sexy investing that is individual stocks. So if you are a student and interested in getting started, an IRA might be your best option. And then making sure that you're investing in things that are well diversified, that have been proven over time, and that are not just throwing all of your eggs in one basket, a.k.a. one company or one particular sector.
1: I think that's uh, phenomenal advice. And also for those people who are thinking about getting involved and may listen to the news every day and listen to how the stock market is doing every day. How often should we be checking our own portfolio?
0: You're asking great questions. I love this question. So um, my friend, Erin, who runs Broke Millennial, um, she has this amazing book on investing called Broke Millennial Takes on Investing. And she has this great story in it where she talked to a Wall Street analyst who did not check counts for the whole year after the 2008 crash. Like it just just didn't look because she knew it was going to be really anxiety inducing. So I don't necessarily campaign for that level of uh, kind of ignoring your finances, but it's a Mm -hmm. great story to remind yourself that you are playing the long game if you're investing. And that's why it's so important to not maybe go with these companies or these organizations who are so focused on short-term investing because that is an oxymoron. Like (laughs) short-term investing, they don't belong in the same sentence together. The whole point of investing means that you're putting in money in order for it to grow over a long period of time. We're talking decades, right? So Mm -hmm. make sure that when you're investing, you are emotionally ready to see up and downs and understand that that's part of the process. It's riding the investing roller coaster, knowing that there's going to be ups and there's also going to be downs. And you don't lose technically any money until you sell, right? So if you buy five shares of an ETF and it goes, quote unquote, down, you don't actually lose any money until you sell that ETF. So keep that in (laughs) mind, too, is that when you're looking at these kind of gains and losses you're not gaining or losing anything until you actually sell. And we are hoping you're selling in many, many years, right? If So I'm 26. Uh, if I'm retiring at a normal age at 65, I've got a long time to go. So I'm investing for the long run with the expectation that yes, there will be booms and there will be busts. And that's part of the investing roller coaster.
1: I think uh, that's advice that All of us could uh, stand to listen to probably multiple times a year. uh, And especially when you hear those numbers.
0: I need it too. honestly, I need to take my own advice. Sometimes (laughs) I I check in on it and I'm like, Oh gosh, it did that today. And you just have to
1: calm
0: yourself down. And if you do know that, like, there's a lot of people who check every day and that's maybe not, uh, not the best for your mental health. So maybe check in once in a while. Don't be, you know, completely negligent with your finances. But there's also a potential con to, to being so obsessed with it that you are constantly thinking about it. A one day or two days in the grand scheme of years is, is you know, tiny. It's minuscule.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I'm glad that you're sharing this with our listeners.
0: You're listening to What You Need When You Need It, a bi monthly podcast by Seattle Credit Union on relevant topics affecting our city and our state and ways to positively impact your financial health. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Let's maybe turn for a second to the importance of credit and you know, how there are multiple ways to look at it, I think short, middle, and long term. But building credit is something that many college students can start working on now. And, you know, probably when money's tight, it can feel intimidating. But again, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, so what are, what are some ways that college students can responsibly build their credit to set them up for financial success, you know, when they're in college, when they graduate 10 years after graduation?
0: So your credit score is like your adulting GPA, right? It is your, your barometer of financial health. So it is what you know, lenders, a.k.a. the people who are about to give you credit, are looking at to figure out if you are a responsible borrower. So one of the three ways that your credit score is determined is actually your credit history. And your credit history just is basically how long you've had credit for. So I was really lucky that I opened up my first credit card when I was 18. I didn't use it very much. I made sure to use it responsibly, paid my bill on time and in full. I didn't carry a balance. And I only put things on a credit card that I could actually afford to pay off. But that way, I was establishing credit early. I was establishing those good financial habits. So if you are in a place where you know you can um, apply for a credit card, get approved, that's a great way to start building credit. I would just like put, you know, my $7 burger that I went out, you know, and got with a friend or like an ice cream cone. I wasn't spending probably more than $70 a month on my credit card. And that was probably when I was like, you know, had a really high spending month. It was like $70. So (laughs) it doesn't have to be a lot of money. But that was a great way for me, A, to not carry cash and B, to to build my credit. Just make sure, please, because credit cards are a really slippery slope make sure you use them responsibly. And that's part of your credit score. That's the second piece of building your credit score is, are you a responsible borrower? Are you paying your bills on time, meaning you're not missing payments, and in full, meaning again, that you're not carrying a balance. If the minimum payment's $25, but you put $1,000 on the credit card, you're paying $1,000, not just that minimum balance. So It's a really great way to start building your credit and start building those good financial habits by getting a credit card when you're in college. But please just make sure you use it responsibly.
1: Wise words, Tori. Yeah, really establishing that track record in the eyes of lenders um, is is of the utmost importance. And it's really important what you said. You know, it doesn't matter if you're putting seven, fifty or $100 on uh, your credit card or even beyond each month as long as you have the means to be able to pay it off in full each month. So thank you for that reminder. And I think it's a great tip for anybody um, in the college sphere right now. So we've talked about loans, we've talked about stuff in college that students can do to set them up for financial success and independence in the future. So let's touch on graduation and what to expect after that big date in May or December or whenever your final semester happens to end, you know, graduation. In your experience, Tori, what are some of the biggest considerations for post-college finances? Is there anything that you wish people had told you about finances after college or is there anything that students can do right now to get ahead and set themselves up for success?
0: I wish somebody would have told me how gosh darn expensive being an adult is. (laughs) I wish that that was communicated to me way earlier. Um, And again, I had a conversation with my parents. I graduated college. I worked really hard to try to get a job before school and that didn't work out. But I was actively interviewing and I was going on, you know, a couple interviews a week. We just sat down and... You know, I knew roughly then, because I had been on a couple interviews, what I could hope to be making uh, in my first job out of school. So, based on that number, we broke down, okay, how expensive would it be to get a one-bedroom apartment? Okay, I have... Uh, rent. I have utilities. I'm paying for wifi. I'm also paying for my cell phone. I'm paying for my groceries. I'm paying for a car loan for me. Um, you know, if you have a student loan payment, you're doing that. You know, if you want to go out, right. If you want to have any sort of fun in your life, what is that going to cost? And we made kind of a, a, a very basic budget and realizing, <laughs> wow, some part of my lifestyle was going to have to change, right? Maybe I was buying a cheaper car or living in a different place, or maybe I was making sure, and I'm a huge believer in this, to negotiate my salary. So, yeah, I mean, sit down and look at, okay, if I know roughly what I'm going to be getting paid my first job out of school, and a reminder that if your salary is $45,000 a year, that is without tax taken out. So that is not the money you are going to see in your bank account, right? That is pre-tax. So Mm -hmm. post-tax, roughly how much money are you going to have? And how are you going to divvy up that money in terms of your bills and uh, your discretionary expenses? So again, transparent numbers, good conversations can be really, really helpful. That was Such an eye opener for me of realizing, yeah, how expensive life is, and making sure that there were certain decisions I was making that were because we sat down and and looked at those numbers. Um, You also need to have a good idea of if you have taken out student loans, when do those start kicking in? Typically, you have some sort of grace period maybe that's six months, maybe that's a year of you don't have to make any payments, but when do those payments start, and you know, how does that factor into your budget? So sit down, get a little comfy uh, with your numbers and, and figure out what, what that looks like for you know, your first year post-college.
1: Yeah, I hear themes coming up again and again in how you've approached your financial literacy and you know, now uh, financial independence and growth into that. And it sounds like it really comes back to planning, establishing literacy, prioritization, and being intentional.
0: Yeah, I would say that's about right. Yeah, and I think it's just—it's really easy uh, because we grew up in a society, all of us, that you know, money was taboo. Right, talking about money was taboo, um, mm-hmm. and and it was gauche. And I think it's really uh, dangerous uh, for us to continue that narrative. And there's political ramifications, there's societal ramifications of that narrative continuing. But just as a personal, you know, from a personal standpoint the concept of like talking about money is taboo or like caring about money for whatever reason is uncool is, is just Mm -hmm. not helpful and it's not accurate. And the more uh, we kind of do the ostrich effect with our money, which is like we bury our head in the sand. We act like our problems don't exist. (laughs) Right. The more we, we are feeling not confident in our financial lives and also just so much anxiety in, in every other aspect of our lives that actually number one a factor contributing to Americans' anxiety right now is money. So if Hmm. you can be 18, 19, you know, 22, 23, if you can start these financial habits very young and early and get comfortable potentially being uncomfortable with money, and admit what you don't know, and research, and ask questions, and be okay being a little vulnerable in that. Asking what a 401k is, um, you know, following maybe it's me, maybe it's another expert, finding you know somebody you trust who can help educate you about money. But again, getting comfortable being uncomfortable is how all of us grow. And so, if you can start, you know, your financial life feeling uh, or building confidence at least, then everything is going to be so much better from then on out.
1: Thank you, Tori. I think in summary, that pretty much puts a a beautiful cap on our conversation today. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners, Um, whether it's about navigating college through a financial lens or really anything that you want to talk about?
0: I'm going to give advice that I was told but wish I listened to that has nothing to do with money which is to worry less. And I would give this advice to myself yesterday and myself tomorrow. I was the typical kind of type A student who got really good grades so I could, you know, do well in high school and got really good grades in high school so I could get into a good college and, you know, worked really hard in college so I could get a good job. And then, you know, you get a good job so I guess you can, you know, buy a house or, you know, support your family. And then eventually, I mean, it's a little depressing, but you die. Right. And it's like, it's so easy to be focused on what is the next step that we forget to just live in the one we're at right now. And I was so Mm. worried in high school about making sure I could get into a good college. And I was worried in college about getting a job and worried, you know, could I afford it? Could I, you know, was I going to be happy? And I enjoyed college so much and I think I would have enjoyed it even more if I realized that, you know, this was a experience that most people only get once in their lives and that you're lucky even Mm -hmm. if you get it once in your life. So there are certain things, uh, you know, to be financially responsible or to have conversations about money and to, to think through these decisions. At the same time though, I, you know, speaking as someone who relatively recently graduated college, I graduated college four years ago, there was so many times where I spent energy that I didn't need, uh, worrying and being anxious about what the next step was, instead of uh, just enjoying where I was and and knowing that it would all work out. So that's really my parting wisdom: is yes, plan, be strategic, be intentional, but at the same time, you're only 18 or 20 or 22, you know, at one point in your life, and so enjoy it worry less understand that if you're working hard and making good decisions and and you're surrounding yourself with good people I think ultimately you're going to have a much better shot at you know at happiness at fulfillment at all of those things so yeah I would tell past me that I would tell future me that is just worry (laughs) less and and focus on where you are right now
1: and you know, I'm glad that you told me that because we could all <laughs> use that reminder every once in a while,
0: especially right now. when there is so much collective anxiety. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's a reminder that I need constantly. And that, so that's something that people told me when I was, yeah, 20, 21, but I didn't really listen to, cause I was so focused on what was next. So just, just be okay being right where you're at right now.
1: Awesome. Well, Tori, thank you so much for joining us today and whatever comes next, but more importantly, what's going on now for her first 100K, we wish you and your organization the best as we do for all of your listeners and whatever endeavors you may have planned for the future. Um, And just one more time, Tori Dunlap, thank you so much for being with us today. I have really enjoyed our conversation and I hope our listeners have too.
0: This was so fun. Thanks again for having me.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to learn more, check out our Workshop Wednesday series, held virtually now through the end of the year. For a list of dates and topics, follow us on Facebook at Seattle Credit Union and sign up for event notifications. To submit a topic for consideration, please email us at scupodcast at seattlecu.com. That's scupodcast at seattle, the letter C, the letter U, dot com. Thank you.
0: This has been a What You Need When You Need It podcast by Seattle Credit Union, Seattle's partner in growth and prosperity. To submit a topic for consideration, please visit seattlecu.com podcast. Seattle Credit
1: Union is federally insured by NCUA, an equal housing opportunity lender.